Hello and welcome to The New Guys, a show that is usually co-hosted by me, Gabe S. Dunn, and my co-host, River Butcher. I am a writer and a filmmaker, River is a comedian and jack-of-all-trades, um, usually introduces himself in, as his baseball position, but uh, today we I'm flying solo. And um, River wanted to do a little uh, aside to explain what's going on with him. So we're going to insert that here. What's up, new guys, listeners? This is River Butcher, one of the hosts of the podcast you're listening to. I just want to let you know that I'm taking this episode off to take care of my mental health. And I want to give a shout out to Gabe Dunn uh, for being very supportive and understanding of this and taking care of the episode for me. And also our producer, Logan Castradali for doing the same. I appreciate having supportive, loving, kind, and caring people in my life, in my work, as friends, um, and we all need that. Um, and so I wish everybody the best. Thanks for listening, and thank you for supporting the show. And by supporting the show, by supporting me. Thank you. Okay, so thank you, River, for sharing that. And so for this episode, I am going to be interviewing our guest, Alicia Rothweigel, by myself, solo, Gosh, it's going to be so hard for me because I've never had a podcast before. That's a joke. I have so many podcasts. Um, so anyway, yeah, please enjoy this interview uh, with me and Alicia, who is an incredible intersex activist. Um, and River will be back soon. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome back to The New Guys. Uh, I'm here with our guest, Alicia Rothweigel. Why don't you tell our audience who you are and what your book is? Hi, I am Alicia and I am an intersex activist and I have a memoir out called Inverse Cowgirl, not Reverse Cowgirl, <laughs> though that's fun too, Inverse Cowgirl because I'm intersex in Texas. Get it? I was going to say, how did you come up with that name? Yeah. Um, well, so it started out as like a play on words, you know, it, it, you know, I'm intersex in Texas, so inverse cowgirl instead of reverse cowgirl. But then the more that I thought about it, I also realized that, so the book is definitely about my journey as an intersex person, but it's also a lot broader than that. It's kind of about, it's for anybody who is different in some way than what society has expected or has had to go against the grain of what's considered to be quote unquote normal um, in the world. And so I kind of talk about it more in the book itself, but how, you know, anyone could be an inverse cowgirl if they have, have had to really claim themselves in a way that might make other people uncomfortable or, you know, just is not that society has not caught up to yet. Yeah, like a cowgirl, like an outlaw. Like an outlaw, exactly. And like, and being an intersex activist, which a lot of people don't even really know what that means, it's like, I feel like I'm on the frontier a lot of the time and like, kind of like pushing the boundaries, like exploring new territory with people. So yeah, there's a, there I was, love that. yeah, a lot of kind of applications of the title that expanded after I did that play on words. One thing that's funny is there's a review of my book on Goodreads where someone was like, yeah, and the book is called Inverse Cowgirl after a slur that is used to demean intersex people. And I was like, I don't <sighs> think that's a slur to deny. I'm like, I don't think this person's ever heard of Reverse Cowgirl. And so I didn't do this, but I almost want to re reply to the review and be like, hey, like, that's not a slur, but like, I do recommend that you experiment sexually a little bit. And it, that might be kind of 
<laughs> that might be kind of yeah, fun for just you. like a. You're like, did I invent a slur? I don't think about so. my own people. <laughs> like, yeah, honestly, iconic. You're like the first person to invent faggot. You're like, I did it, and I will be right not remembered in history. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, for everyone listening, not a slur as far as I know. Now it is. Now it is. So, okay. I know you've probably you said you've been doing podcasts all day, so forgive me. But um, can you do like a small rundown of what being intersex activist means? Like not just yeah. being intersex, but also like w- the difference. Because I, I find it funny sometimes when people will say, you know, oh, you're an LGBTQ advocate. And I'm like, I'm really just kind of a gay person about town. Right. So can you say what intersex <laughs> is and then what an intersex activist is? Yes, I love that. And I, I love that you're a gay about town. Um, so yeah, well, being intersex to start off with, because I think a lot of people even within the queer and trans community, often have misconceptions. Um, it's kind of exactly what the word sounds like I was born intersex between the sexes. And I think, you know, society understands for the most part now that unless they actively try to misunderstand this, but understands that sexuality is a spectrum you know, you're not just gay, you're not just straight, there's this whole spectrum in between. Um, More and more people are understanding now that gender is also a spectrum, you're not just a man or a woman, there's a whole spectrum in between. And what people are now starting to recognize is that sex is also a spectrum. So the physical sex traits that you're born with. And so that would involve anything from chromosomes to hormones to genitalia to internal reproductive organs. And that is also not, doesn't always fit a neat little binary of just the male and female that usually are the only two options available on a birth certificate. But what I like to also tell people is that this, the spectrum of sex is not only relevant to intersex people, it's relevant to everyone because so just like some cisgender men can grow a full beard and some barely get peach fuzz or just like Mm -hmm. some cisgender women have huge boobs and some are flat chested. Those are sex traits like facial hair, like cup size, like those are all sex traits. And that is also on a spectrum. Like, you know, there's all different ways that that manifests in society. So with intersex people, all it basically means is that our sex traits are closer to the center of the spectrum than, you know, a lot of other people who might be more binary in terms of their appearance. And so intersex people can have any gender, they can have any sexuality. It just means that we were born with physical attributes that didn't, didn't land neatly in one of those uh, male or female categories on a birth certificate. Um, and so that's what, that's what intersex means. And then what being an intersex activist means, besides explaining stuff like that on podcasts, <laughs> which I do a lot of, um, but unfortunately living in Texas, the whole LGBTQI plus community is like fighting for our existence on a daily basis. And so I I do a lot of media work, but I also do a a lot of political work. So I'm often testifying in committee hearings at the Texas State Capitol or um, at the federal level. I also work a lot with the the Biden administration on policy. I'm also appointed human rights commissioner here in the city of Austin. So I do a lot of local non-discrimination policy work. Um, And then something that is a little bit more unique of being an intersex activist, because I don't think you do quite as much of this 
or other other members of the LGBTQI spectrum don't tend to do as much of this as we do. But besides like in the media world and the political world, a lot of our advocacy as intersect people is actually also in the medical arena because a lot right. of times, yeah, because a lot of times doctors, like despite the fact that we are 2% of the world's population, which to put that in context for people, that's like the same amount of people as have red hair or green eyes. So there's a lot of us. Despite how many of us there are, in med school, a doctor might get like one paragraph about intersex bodies in their med school textbooks, if that, like it might just be like a sentence. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of, honestly, a lot of our activism is educating doctors and med school students and, you know, giving trainings and both helping to change hearts and minds in medicine to help, you know, improve intersex care, but even things as basic as like, so I have a, a healthcare appointment tomorrow morning and it was, it's at a, a clinic called Kind Clinic, which here in Austin, they do LGBT healthcare. So they do everything from like gender care for trans folks. They do HIV care. They do STI testing. And I've been working with them for months on um, offering an intersex health offering because we have a lot of overlap with the trans community and that a lot of us are on HRT. Like I'm also on HRT because of surgery I experienced as a kid that necessitates me to take external hormones. Um, there, you know, there's a lot of overlap, but we also have some unique things. For example, like I have early stage osteoporosis and like really bad bone health issues, which is not uncommon in our community because a lot of us receive really botched medical care as kids that then messes us up in other ways. And so honestly, like a lot of being an intersex activist is, is just educating your doctors, like providing research yeah. for your own doctors of like, you're sitting in the, in the room and you're like, Hey, you should be giving me a DEXA scan to check on my bone density because I might have osteoporosis. And like the doctor's like, oh, okay, like, yeah, maybe I should do that. <laughs> so it's it's like it's really weird to to be an intersex activist. I tell people it's almost like being a politician and a doctor and a gay about town and all of the things <laughs> all wrapped into one without any of the hefty paychecks associated with that. Because unfortunately, intersex activists receive less than 1% of all available LGBT funding that's out there. So we're working to change that. Oh my God. Okay. So I wrote down so many questions while you were talking. Okay. <laughs> so first of all, do you feel like uh, in, or in doing this advocacy, I think I, I read um, some stuff where you spoke about, you know, your body being used as like a medical experiment or study or something and like do do you feel like like that ha that has to happen but but then it's a matter of consent but then it's like the parents giving consent but not so like I mean it's it's this weird thing of like how do they learn in a way that isn't so dehumanizing to the intersex person totally well and that's why in order to create this intersex health offering that we did with kind clinic we did a lot of consensual research. So we did like nationwide surveys with intersex people. We did focus groups with people of age. Um, and at a certain point, it'll get to a point where we have enough out intersex people where it will no longer be so heavily stigmatized and like so deep in the closet that ideally at a certain point, we'll be able to have like younger people volunteer for certain things as well. but. Yeah, the issue of consent becomes really blurry when you're told from however young you might be, because oftentimes when you're intersex, 
unlike being gay or being trans, oftentimes they know from the minute you're born, because if your genitalia looks different from the outside, then they know that you're intersex. Um, or in my circumstance, you know, my mom got in a car crash when she was pregnant with me and they did a test on my mom while, while I was still in my mom's womb that showed that I had XY chromosomes. And so they were expecting a boy. And then when I came out of the womb with a vagina, they were like, Oh wait, what's going on here? So they also knew from me from birth that I was intersex, which is not always the case. There are some intersex people that have certain variations that are less visible and they might not find out till like way later in their life for unrelated reasons. But all this is to say the issue of consent gets blurry when your parents and doctors know this about your identity from the moment you're born and you're fed all this information that's like, you need to keep this a secret and like never tell anyone and um, because you'll be made fun of and you'll never find a good husband one day or whatever. And then, and so you're like, okay, and, and you feel super closeted and stigmatized and whatever about it. And so for me, then it was like, I had this like block in my in my head where anytime I went to the doctors, it was like a severely traumatizing experience that I just wanted to block out. And I just wanted to get in and out as quickly as I could. And like, I just didn't, I, I dissociated for myself. And I write about this in the book. It's like in psychological terms, it's called like dissociation. And I've had to do a lot of embodiment work to learn how to like bring myself back into my body because I had done so much dissociation as a kid. And so because I was so like dissociated, I, I didn't really have agency in any of these conversations because like, I was just like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know who these people are. I don't like, just, I'll do what you say, whatever you want me to do and just get me out of here, you know? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that was stuff like, you know, they would put me under anesthesia for a bunch of med students to like, look at my junk. And like, I was maybe like 12 years old and like, Ugh. you know, they, they, they told me something like, Hey, like we need to make sure everything's okay down there. Like we're going to just put you under and whatever. But like, when you look back on it though, that's like, that's not okay. <laughs> like, like, no, I'm so sorry. To that's ask like, like a that's 12 like... year old to like, mm -hmm. if we can knock you unconscious. So a bunch of strangers can look at your genitals, like, and, and for me that there was that, but for other intersex people, there's like non-consensual medical photography that goes on. Like for all I know, oh there God. could be, there could be photographs of my junk floating around somewhere for all I know. I'm not sure, but I do know with certain intersex friends of mine, they're absolutely like, they have vivid memories of being the subject of medical photography, like as children. And yeah, it's just really dehumanizing. It's so wild that we worry, the right-wing people worry so much about grooming and about children and about all this stuff. But then it's like, not you're, you're put under non-consensually yes. in ways that they think is happening because of trans people. And it's, it's not. It's so wild. So here's the thing. They're like, they think we, people like you and me, and probably everyone listening to this podcast, <laughs> are out here grooming <laughs> people to be trans. Meanwhile... Intersex kids are born physically in between. The doctors make a decision. They say, we're going to push them this way or we're going to push them that way. Usually they push them towards the female category because as certain doctors have said, it's easier to dig a hole than it is to build a pole. Direct quote, which Jesus. means they think it's easier to make a vagina than it is to build a penis. So they default to making little intersex kids girls. And then there's this one story. There's a lot of stories like this, but there's one story of an intersex activist I know in Houston who was born intersex. They made him quote unquote, a girl. 
he reached mm-hmm. a certain age where he told his mom, he was like, I'm not a girl. And I don't know, like no one ever asked me, but they had already done all these surgeries and pumped him with these hormones to make him a girl without his consent, without his knowledge as like a very young child. And then, so his mom was like, okay, like start, like let him start dressing in boys clothes, like cut his hair. And then neighbors of his complained and he ended up getting taken away from his parents by like DP, like child protective services by CPS, because they were like, this person is raising their kid, their little girl as a boy. And it's like, no, this, the kid was born intersex in the first place. The doctors decided that he was going to be a girl when he was never a girl in the first place. So then he transitioned and then transitioned, even though, (laughs) right. Even though he has XY chromosomes. Yes. Even though he has XY chromosomes in the first place. And so it's like, it's just, it's so convoluted and it's so wild. And it's just, it just shows that like they, they claim that it's to protect children. It's absolutely not to protect children. They're saying, don't give gender affirming care to children who actively want it, who are begging for life affirming, like life saving care. But then they're saying mm-hmm. you can force the exact same surgeries and hormones on little kids who never asked for it. And so, really, mm-hmm. I would ask them who's grooming who to be trans here? Yes, uh, work. Yes. We're not the ones grooming people to be trans. There are a lot of intersex people that are trans because they were quote unquote groomed the wrong direction. Without their consent. Yes, correct. Exactly. That's what's so mind blowing. And that's why I think, I think you spoke, uh, cause you were on my other show just between yeah. us. I think you spoke a bit about how you ended up coming out when you were giving a speech, uh, in favor of gender affirming care, uh, in the Texas legislature, maybe. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about, cause I want to get into like the intersex and trans communities, um, totally you know, overlap holding hands, yeah, holding hands with sure. each other. Yeah. But what, <laughs> Why were you as an intersex person speaking at a a trans legislation um, meeting? Yeah. So basically they were trying to pass the bathroom bill in Texas, which I'm sure people listening to this podcast are familiar, but they've tried to do this in states across the country where they try to pass a law that says that people have to pee in the restroom that aligns with the sex on their birth certificate, which like is not even enforceable because I don't know where my birth certificate is. I should probably figure that out at some point in my life. But like <laughs> yours says XY or yours says female, but you have XY chromosomes. Well, that's the whole thing. So so it wasn't <laughs> the the bathroom bill was not going to affect me because it says female on my birth certificate and I pee in the women's room already because like that feels affirming to me, like whatever. I use she and they pronouns, like it doesn't feel incongruous with my being. So the bill actually was not going to affect me, but I realized that my very existence just proves how absolutely irrational and illogical these bills are in the first place. Because I was basically like, I went into this hearing and I, cause I have a lot of trans friends who are going to be negatively affected by this bill. And I was like, listen, y'all, like I was born with balls and I have XY chromosomes but like, you're looking at me here. I'm like very femme. I'm literally wearing like a cute little skirt and a push up bra and whatever. I was like, do you want me peeing in the men's room? And they're like, uh, <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm like, is that the intent of this bill? I was like, and if that's not the intent, do, then do you want me peeing outside? Because like, I don't know where I'm supposed to pee. And like, that sounds like I'm going to get arrested for public urination. It sounds really unsanitary. And like, I, is that the goal of this bill? I basically just wanted them to realize how freaking stupid they are. And so essentially mm-hmm. I was like, if you want to try to pass discriminatory legislation, y'all should at least open a biology textbook first because people like me exist. And, you know, like we just prove 
that this bill is like based on false science. It's based on pseudoscience. It's dumb. Like y'all should just get rid of this bill. And so I did that really as an ally to my trans friends. And it just like, there are just so many, that's just one of so many overlaps between, between our communities. I mean, I think that's really wonderful that you went and did that and like threw a wrench in things, um, sort of just by exposing yourself. So I do appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and I, and I wanted to ask, so I've written down choice versus not, which, um, and feel free to be like, I don't want to answer any of this, but just curious, like, do you consider yourself trans then? It's a really good question. So, and it de- depends on how you define trans. Cause like mm. I identify as a woman and it says female on my birth certificate. And so in that way, I'm cis, but I'm also like not really cis because all the cis women like get periods. I don't have a period. Like all these cis women didn't undergo the stuff that I did as an intersex kid. Like uh, these like cis women have very different. I have a lot in common with them, but I also have a very different lived experience than them. But then I also have like a very different lived experience than a lot of trans people do who are mm-hmm. more like, you know, male to female or like other, you know, mm-hmm. and have been raised differently than how I was. So I don't know if I would identify as trans, but I also don't identify as cis. Like I very much identify as an intersex woman. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes what I'll say is I'm very cis passing because I, I very much present super femme. I was raised essentially like I was raised as a woman and I, you know, do identify as a woman. So in so many ways, like I I would say I'm like cis passing, but I'm definitely not Mm -hmm. cisgender, but I also don't, I don't feel like my experience is exactly the same as a trans person in the way that I would say a lot of my friends who are intersex and trans would, because like they have like made a choice, like because they assigned them one sex at birth and then they have had to then transition and, you know, change their gender presentation, change documents, like change, you know, their name or the way they present in the world. So, so yeah, it's like, I'm kind of like a kind of in all the categories and kind of in none of them type deal, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like it's a crapshoot, right? Because if you if you had later decided, actually, I do identify whatever, quote unquote, with my chromosomes, that would have been a whole separate mess. Right. And then then I would have then I would have more firmly been able to say, yes, I identify as trans. I also, right. though, use she and they pronouns because that was my next question. Yeah, well, honestly, more than anything, it's it's kind of like a protest for me because it's like, mm. yes, I am a woman, but I also do not have the same lived experience as a cis woman, and I also don't believe the gender binary is real, and I do mm. believe it's socially conditioned. And so that's not to say that people shouldn't be able to like identify in a way that affirms to them, but I just think it's all socially conditioned. Like I think if there were no genders on a birth certificate, we could all just like dress how we want, like present how we want, have whatever anatomy we want, use whatever names we want. If we could all just identify in the way that's affirming to us and be who we want to be, then I don't think we would need all these boxes in the first place. So like for me, I use she and they both because I do identify as a she, but sometimes I'm feeling more they, but also as like a protest of like, I just think the whole thing is a little bit batshit. Yeah. 
it's like non-binary, but not like it's so it's such it's, a singular it's again, existence. It's a spectrum, right? It's like we were talking yeah. about how like even on the spectrum of sex, intersex people are closer to the center on the spectrum of gender. I'm like not quite all the way in the F, but I'm like not quite in the like a gender or non-gender right. or non-binary. I'm like somewhere in between. Yeah, it's like very. You're. I, I imagine that every intersex person is so singular. Yes, they're just a like their own. I mean, I guess you could say that about any person, but <laughs> yeah. truly not a monolith in any way. <laughs> no, there are intersex people I know of all different genders, of all different sexualities. Um, yeah, there's there there's no one way to look or be intersex. That is for sure. I was going to ask, like, do you identify as, like, straight or queer or, like, how does that, like, because yeah. I feel like sometimes people throw queer on stuff j to be like, and I'm, and, and gender is the queer thing or I don't know. Right. Don't know. Yeah. Well, so I definitely date mostly men and that's, like, an unfortunate part of my attraction that, like, on the <laughs> Kinsey spectrum, it tends to be men for me. I'm very much, like, I have made out with women and I'm, like, if it ever ended up being a woman for me, then, like. That, that would be fine too. I, a lot of women are much better people than men in this world. Not that I'm trying to make <laughs> generalized assumptions or anything. And I think men mm -hmm. are also hugely disserviced by the patriarchy and we need to overhaul all of that stuff. But so for me, yeah, I mean, I do identify as queer. I tend to be more on one side of that spectrum, kind of like my gender, but, but queer for me, it kind of encompasses all of it that I just don't really fit neatly into like any of the boxes. Right? Like it's yeah. sort of – it's funny like you mentioned, you know, being born a certain way and we talk like, oh, born this way, like born, you know, gay, born bi, born trans, whatever it is. But like you you were like truly born this way. Well, I mean we all were. I mean that's the thing is I was born with like physical, visible sex traits that are in between. But even trans people are born with a brain that's in between and a brain is very much a body part. Um, so you were talking a bit about what happened with you, which is, um, you know, the the going on HRT because of uh, because of the testicles being removed. And then also, like, can you explain what happened and then what the ramifications were? Because I think people don't realize that there are ramifications that are overblown. Yeah. And then there are ramifications that are just like your parents weren't even told. Totally. Yeah. Well, so. Sometimes with the parents not being told, like if you read, there's another book that's out besides Inverse Cowgirl, which is my book, pre-order or order Inverse Cowgirl. Make sure you get a copy. <laughs> besides that book, there's another amazing intersex book that just came out called Nobody, but Nobody Needs to Know by my friend Pigeon mm. Pagonis. And Pigeon, yes. yes. And Pigeon's book is very much a story of like doctors even misinforming the parents of the intersex kid. So my parents were misinformed in a way because they were fed information that like later was proven to not entirely be true, which we will get into in a second. But in Pigeon's case, it was like, they straight up like lied to Pigeon's parents about certain stuff. And like, that is not abnormal to either have the doctors not be entirely truthful with the parents or to have the parents not be entirely truthful with the children. Like sometimes if the parents are really biased or bigoted or whatever, or scared or whatever it might be, then they, they don't always inform the intersex people. And so some intersex people literally find out their intersex. I heard of one story when 
a woman was in her 40s and she went to the hospital for some entirely unrelated reason. And the doctor's like, they either ran some sort of blood test that showed that her hormone levels were different or like maybe they looked through her medical records and saw a surgery that she couldn't explain. I don't remember the exact context, but basically it was like they found out in her 40s that she was intersex. But in my circumstance, my parents knew I was intersex from when I was born because I'd gotten in that car crash and they had tested my chromosomes before birth. But if you think about it, like that's not a normal thing to be doing chromosome testing on babies. Like there are so many people, like you could be intersex for all I know. Like, have you ever had your chromosomes tested? Uh, no, I haven't. Most people have not. <laughs> my parents are, I, I banged my head a few years ago on a metal door and everyone in my life was like, you've had a tetanus shot. You're fine. And I was like, call it my mom. And she was yeah. like, yeah, you should probably get a tetanus shot. I barely got shots. So, so yeah. So you have definitely not have your chromosomes tested, but that's also normal. Like most people in the world have not had, it's called a karyotype is the test that is done to test oh. what your chromosomes are. And it's not exactly like a common test that they run on babies, but so for me, they knew that I was intersex from when I was born. And then because of that, they told my parents, they were like, she has what's called complete androgen insensitivity, which means I'm insensitive to androgen hormones, which is why I look as femme as I do, despite the fact that I had testes on the inside. So what would have happened is my testes would have produced testosterone and my body would have been like, nah, we don't vibe with that. And so it would have converted that to estrogen and I would have developed naturally, but processing estrogen. And so it's kind of like a superpower, but they don't view it that way, unfortunately. And so they told my parents, they were like, yeah, she has complete androgen insensitivity. It's this disorder. And there's a risk, a high risk that she could get testicular cancer one day. And so my parents, if you think about being in my parents' shoes, they have this newborn baby and the doctors are already talking about cancer. It's like, if you're a parent in that situation, you're going to do whatever the doctors say so that your child like doesn't get cancer. And so in this way that I say my parents were misinformed, when they said a high risk of testicular cancer, and there's not enough research done, but there's more all the time. And now 30 years later... Um, we know a lot more than my parents knew at the time. We know that my risk of getting testicular cancer was somewhere between one and 5% at some chance, like at some point way later in my life. So like, because of a like 1% risk of cancer one day, they removed my reproductive organs without asking me when I was a baby. So they put me under anesthesia as an infant, which carries its own health risks to put an, right. an infant under anesthesia and to put an infant through surgery. And they removed my testes without asking me. And by doing that, they basically forced my body into hormone withdrawal because those were my hormone producing organs. And so my whole childhood, I had no hormone producing organs. And so I was in withdrawal. And that basically meant that certain bodily function, like your hormones control a lot more than just like your cup size or you know, the tenor of your voice, they control like your organ health and all different stuff. And so by not getting the levels of hormones that I needed to keep my body safe, it was leaching calcium from my bones. And that's why I have osteoporosis at age 30, which is like something you think about people in like their 80s or 90s or whatever, like not a 30 year old. But it's because like as a kid, I what my body was not getting the hormones it needed. And that was leaching calcium from my bones. And so like, now there's more research like all the time. 
there's much more, much better information than there was, you know, when I was growing up. So I know my parents like would have chosen differently had they had different information. And that's why like a lot of our work as intersex people is, and um, one thing that we passed here at the city level in Austin is we passed um, an ordinance that is to create a public health awareness campaign for parents and doctors of intersex kids so that they can have better information than my parents did and they can make better informed decisions and they can work with their children and not make all these decisions for their children without their children's consent because it should be like a partnership, right? Like parental rights are important to help guide a child in the right direction, but also ultimately, whether you're trans, whether you're intersex, we're the ones who are living with these bodies the rest of our lives. So yeah. we need to have a seat at the decision-making table. Um, and so, yeah, we, we passed that, that ordinance in Austin. New York State recently passed it at the state level. So they're going to be putting together like a statewide education campaign to educate parents and doctors of intersex kids, which will be dope. And who knows, maybe we can do something like that federally eventually. I mean, they created problems for you. Yeah. Because the rate for testicular cancer, what you're describing is the rate that any male child would have. Yeah. I don't know if it's the same rate, but I know any child born with testicles could also get testicular cancer. Right. Anybody. Yeah. That's what I'm, I mean, I mean, it kind of, I wrote down like, in a way it's eugenics because they wouldn't wouldn't take a female child that's born and then say, actually, before you can make this decision for yourself, your mom had breast cancer. So we're actually going to remove your tits. Like, yes, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't do that. And, and honestly, the BRCA gene, which has connotes a much higher risk of breast cancer or ovarian cancer, that is like a really well-known gene at this point that they do test for a lot. And so oftentimes they do know that kids have that gene. And like you said, they're not out here forcibly removing those kids' ovaries. And, you know, as children, it's they're they're saying, hey, like you have an inflated risk of cancer. What would your choice be in this situation? Would you like to Mm-hmm. preserve your risk of fertility one day? Would you rather nip it in the bud and reduce any risk of cancer? Would you rather keep your organs and monitor them for cancer over time? Like there are options, but with intersex mm-hmm. kids, we aren't given those options because we're not considered quote unquote normal. And so we don't have the same basic human rights as like any other group of people, but it's the same as trans kids. It's like, that is what's motivating all this healthcare. It's they don't think trans kids are normal. So they say, don't give them gender affirming care because that's not normal. And then they say intersex kids aren't normal. So yeah, give them these surgeries and shit because we can force them to be normal. And so it's not about what's healthiest for children. It's not about like what's best for the individual in question. It's all about Mm -hmm. what other people are comfortable with for that person. Exactly. That's why you were told to keep things secret. Yeah. I think. I think there's like this. At least, I mean. So you're 30. So you were. I'm what, 33 ni- now. I'm 33 now. Oh, you're 33. Yeah. Okay. So you were like 91. 90. So like, imagine what the the media landscape was surrounding intersex people at that time. Like nothing. You, there wasn't anything yeah. other than like very harmful portrayals. Totally. The first. The first. Like. The Intersex Society of North America, which has since evolved into Interact, which is an amazing intersex advocacy organization that every every listener here should follow, Interact Advocates, highly recommend them. But ISNA, the Intersex Society of North America that preceded Interact, was founded the year I was born. 
So it was like wow. the intersex movement was just starting the year that I was born. And so like that is one thing that honestly gives me a little bit of hope and heart is that like when you look at civil rights, I mean, that was gaining ground back in like the 50s and 60s. And like there's still, I mean, Lord, black folks are still fighting so hard for like I basic know. human dignity here in the United States. And so for me, it gives me like a little bit of hope that we we are a relatively new movement as far as movements go. Um, and so whenever I get like kind of overwhelmed by how much we have left to do and how like no one even knows we exist yet. And it's like, yeah, but we're also like, we're starting a little bit later than a lot of the other movements are. I mean, do you, um, I don't know how much you know about other countries, but you know, always, hello, Chiquita. There's a dog here now. Yeah. Hi, baby. She woke up from her nap and she wanted to say hello. Oh, thank you. Very sweet. Um, I have my do. I have that with my dog where the dog uh, licked Alicia's face. Yeah. I have with my dog where I taught my dog a trick, which is kiss, and then yeah. he'll like give you a little kiss. And um, people have a real mixed reaction to that. <laughs> Some people are like, "Oh, that's so cute," and other people are like, "That's horrendous." And I'm like, yeah. "No, you don't understand. It's adorable." It is adorable. My dog likes to make <laughs> out. You know, I'm like, if she's licking my nose like that, that's better than her licking the inside of my mouth. Exactly. Except sometimes he does. And then I go, he landed one. He landed exactly. one. Sometimes they actually um, get in there. But anyway. They caught me sleeping. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, he caught me slipping. That's on me. Um, but I was going to say, uh, so in terms of like, I don't know what you know about other cultures or other countries, but like when I was um, coming out and figuring out that I was trans, I, I looked a lot to, I'm not Native American in any way or indigenous in any way, but I looked a lot to like, other cultures. So I was like, wow, yeah. this existed prior, you know, two spirit or this was celebrated in other cultures or whatever. Totally. Do you know, like if, if yes. there was like a, a, a world of intersex sort of being not a scary thing? I write about that a lot in my book, actually. In my book, in the last chapter of my book, I write about kind of the history of intersex people. So indigenous tribes around the world, similar to like two spirit folks, trans folks, like they viewed intersex people as healers, as seers. Like there are famous Egyptian pharaohs that were intersex and it was just like out oh. and normalized. Like, so Nefertiti, who a lot of people have heard of, Nefertiti's spouse, Akhenaten, was intersex and was like depicted as intersex, like in the hieroglyphics and stuff. Like it was just like, out like known information. What do you mean? Yeah, like just you could just see it was like a like intersex traits, I guess. And then wow. and then in the American Revolution, this part this person was not out, but it's just cool to think about how we have been present and part of history for all of time. There's an an, uh, an intersex war general, Casimir Pulaski, who was like a pivotal general in the in the Revolutionary War, who like won some major pivotal battle. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but it's in my book. And they found out through looking at his bones that he was intersex and that he had congenital adrenal hyperplasia. And so in this way, he was also like trans probably because he was like there, like wearing a man's clothes, like being like a revolutionary war general. And that way it was kind of like a Mulan situation, you know? So intersex people have been around for all of time. We've been part of like pivotal movements in society. We've had intersex world leaders. Like there was, and, and for a long time, indigenous groups saw us as gifted because they were like, you are of both realms. And so you have more perspective and you are able to like transcend 
this like one plane that most humans are relegated to one plane, you transcend that you are like in this liminal space in terms of your body. So it makes sense that you're also in a liminal space like spiritually. And so yeah, it just sucks. Like colonization ruined a lot of things for a lot of people. Yeah, put it on a t shirt. Yeah. (laughs) So to round things out, I wanted to ask similarly to, to what I just said, but more personal, like, what about this has been like a gift for you or what's like the positive um you know not to be like eh, and there's a positive to things but yeah. you know like what what have you cuz i view my queerness as a gift that i've been given so yeah. i was curious like what what you do you view any of it as a gift and what do you i do like, like i i view it very much as a gift because i i do think that i have gained so much more perspective being born the way that I am. And I write about this in my book too, that like growing up, never knowing anyone like me, I think has made me so much more empathetic and able to like latch on to like latent pieces of like anyone's humanity. Like my, my ex used to talk about how I can find a way to have a conversation with like, and I write about in my book, I used to work with like homeless trans sex workers in South Africa, I used to organize with them. And then I have to work at the Texas state legislature with like oil funded Republicans. And like, I can find a way to like, latch on to some tiny kernel of like anyone's humanity and find a way to vibe with them and find a way to interact with them. And I think that I think that that has a lot to do with my experience growing up as an intersex person. And I also just like, think that we are born in a way that makes people rethink binary ways of thinking and just like helps them see more nuance and helps like break rigid ways of thinking and helps promote curiosity and open-mindedness. And if I can be that for people, then that's like really cool. I love that. I think that too. I feel like it's seeing in 4D or 5D or something being totally being trans or queer or something that doesn't necessarily fit society. I'm like, I feel bad for straight people sometimes. I'm like, what's that? I mean, like? they have, Some they're stuff. limited. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, and where can people find you and follow you? Yeah. Find me on Instagram. My handle is XOXY. Get it? Cause I have XY chromosome. So XOXY underscore Alicia instead of like XOXO gossip girl, it's XOXY Alicia. <laughs> And um, <laughs> that's where that originally came from. And I have not changed it since the age of Gossip Girl. <laughs> so that's where you can find me. And then through my profile, I really do hope that you'll find other intersex people too. You know, there's Interact is the organization I mentioned. There's Intersex Justice Project, which is specifically organizing for intersex people of color. And through my account and through those accounts, you'll find like a whole host of, an, of other amazing intersex activists who you can follow too. Love it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gabe. This podcast is edited and produced by Logan Castrodali. Music by Atlas Bishop. Art by Maya Scarpa. Email us at thenewguyspodcast at gmail.com. Bye.